And we're grateful, Father, for the chance to be here now. And God, you know exactly what you want to do. We've had a wonderful time of worship, and uh, we want to thank you, God, for that. Thank you for these young folks who just sang about the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ. And God, I want to pray that, that you're going to take what's fixing to be said and stitch it all together and make it something powerful in and for your name. We pray for that. And God, I want to ask, Lord, if there's someone here, and uh, maybe perhaps on the radio, there are people that are sitting going, you know what, in a weird way that describes me, that I'm a Christian, but I have a cheating heart. And so I want to pray, God, that you will direct our hearts and speak to us. And we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Very good. Well, you know we're in a series called Oz, Land of Rescue and Restoration. And we're, we're going through each major character. We started out with Dorothy, and she was represented by the prodigal son and how she went to a far country. And by the way, it's amazing how that keeps coming up in the scriptures that I've chosen. It must be a, a real trend in the scriptures. Israel, Israel was always in the far country, and they're kind of the star of the show today when we talk about our scriptures day in Ezekiel 36. But, but she, uh, the prodigal son went to a far our country, and then came to his senses and came back home. And how great is that? And again, that's in the scriptures today. You're going to see that. And then, and then last week, we talked about the scarecrow, and we talked about wisdom in our mind, and we talked about the importance of renewing our mind, and we, how, how Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 12, how it's important that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. And the reason why, and it's very evident in our service to the Lord, whether it be disaster relief or judgment house or all-star whatever it might be, how God wants to use us, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It is through our physical hands and feet that kingdom work is done. We could have the greatest heart and the greatest mind, but without the body to put hands and feet to that, it's pretty much useless. It takes more than that. So today we want to talk about a guy, and that's the tin man who had a heart problem. And I, I really think it's not that he, he didn't have a heart. He just believed he didn't have a heart. And the reason I say that is, is because if you remember the movie, the Tin Man was pretty compassionate, uh, very tender-hearted throughout the entire film. And yet he was convinced he, and lived the way that he did not have a heart. And unfortunately, that's like a lot of people. We, it's not that we don't have a heart. It's either we allow our heart to become polluted or we live as if we don't have a heart. Well, I, I try to make the sermon titles kind of appropriate for what we're talking about. And so I got to thinking, and, and I'm not sure exactly how it happened, um, but I started thinking about songs. I said, well, maybe we can get a song title and use it for a sermon title. So I, I thought about Billy Ray Cyrus and your achy, breaky heart. And, and David threatened to disown me if I used that one, so we threw that one aside. Um, and, and, then, and then I thought about the Bee Gees. How do you mend a broken heart? How do you... Yeah, yeah. So I thought about them, and I said, no, no, Bee Gees, that wouldn't work either. And then, and I can't even attempt to sing this one, but I thought about Eagles and Heartbreak Hotel, <laughs> you know? And I threw that one aside. But then I, I really came across one that I really think is the right one, and uh, that was a song entitled... Your cheating heart. And, and my plan was, and I, I, I may still attempt it here. We'll see. My plan was, I had Miss Linda Guest find me a cowboy hat. If you'll throw up there, if you can find Mr. Hank. There you go. There's Mr. Hank Williams. Let me get the tilt just about right like that and the smile. 
Yeah. And, and he wrote a song that goes something like this. Your cheating heart will make you weep. You'll laugh and cry and try to sleep. But sleep won't come the whole night through. Your cheating heart will tell on you. Shoot that thing. Well, there you go. That's my attempt at... Well, anyway, anyway, here's the bottom line. So, I, I chose the title, and I had the little plan with the hat and everything. It's supposed to be kind of cute and funny, you know. And then I read his life story. And it's just tragic. It's just tragic. He, he died at age 30. At age 30, in the back seat of a car. He was intoxicated and, and addicted to prescription drugs. There was some evidence, and they never solved this one. There's always a conspiracy figure, uh, you know, conspiracy thing. He had obviously been in a fight and, and had some bruises and contusions on his body. Um, but it was so sad because he started out young and, and just never got on the right path. And when he was like 20 years old, he started singing. He was almost illiterate, um, except when it came to writing songs. And he married, married about 20, 22 years old, a lady named Audrey. And she was a country music singer, and um, she kind of managed his career. And very, very early on, and really badly in 1944, 1944, most of his band was um, drafted into World War II. And he was not drafted because he was 4F due to a back injury. And he just started drinking. I mean, he would show up drunk almost all the time. And somewhere along the way, when he was about 29 years old, Somewhere in there in 1952, um, apparently his wife was cheating on him. And uh, the the commentary, the commentary, the the story said that that no more was the ink dry on their divorce papers and she was remarried. And, of course, Hank, again, was a drunk, an alcoholic and a drug addict. And uh, he had himself a girlfriend real fast, too. And they were driving down to Texas in a convertible. And he was, I guess this is what you do. I've never done this before, but I guess when you have a former wife that you didn't like, you talk to your new girlfriend about her. Somehow that didn't sound right, but that's what they did. And so he just started spilling his guts about this Audrey. And in the process of the conversation, he said to his new girlfriend, she, he said to her, well, her cheating heart will pay. And then like that inspiration came and he said get, get a pen get a pencil and 10 minutes he wrote the words to your cheating heart well and there's a point to this by the way rather than just history and so that was in september of 1952 he recorded your cheating heart and on the way to a concert he was too drunk to drive he enlisted a college student to drive him and again the kid stopped for some supper hank didn't want to eat Stayed in the backseat of the car, and the kid came back, and he was dead at age 30. And three months later, your cheating heart was released. He was not even alive when the song was released. Isn't that tragic? And, and the truth is, you know, apparently Audrey had a cheating heart, and I'm not so sure Hank didn't either, because at some point he had a girlfriend and had a child by a girlfriend. But how tragic it is that his heart was so broken. 
how tragic it is that his heart was so fractured. Here he had success. He had certainly some monetary success. And yet, tragically, his life was so broken. He had his own form of a cheating heart. And you know what the truth is? So do a lot of us. So a lot of us. I told you back at the very start of this series when we talked about Dorothy and the far country. You know, I told you that you can sit in church every week and be in a far country. And you can have a cheating heart. Now, I'm not talking about marital. I'm talking about with God. You can have a cheating, broken heart and sit in church every single week. In fact, I'm convinced a lot of people have broken hearts. It maybe inspired James to write uh, in James chapter uh, 4 um, some very... Now, you remember, for those who don't know, remember Jesus, uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, okay? They had different dads and the same mom, okay? And here's what James wrote. He said, what causes quarrels... Talking Now, by the way, talking to Christians, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly. And then you spend it on yourself. That's a broken heart. That's a cheating heart. In fact, his next words demanded that I use the scripture today. Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says to believers. He says, you adulterous people, you people with cheating hearts toward God, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, we're going back to the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. But Israel had this issue the entire time they were, quote, the people of God. I mean, one, they did, you remember from last week, the hokey pokey faith, you put your left foot in, you take your left foot out, you put your left foot in, then shake it all about. And I I referred to faith, we put our faith in, we take our faith out, we put our faith in, we put faith in, and we just shake it all around. Well, that was Israel. They were always in and out with God, in and out with God, in and out with God. And finally, God just had enough. And he sent him into exile to Babylon for 70 years of judgment. I'm sure somewhere around year 5 or 10, they're going, Okay, God, we learned. And he said, You may have learned, but you're going to stay 70 years. And the crazy part is, while they're in exile, they're still living crazy, idolatrous lives. And that's kind of what sparks this story today in Ezekiel chapter 36. God finally says, he realizes and knows, of course, because he's God, that, that the, the people of Israel are living and making a profane use of their name, even in Babylon. And the people are saying, well, this is God's people, and they don't even have a land. That For a reason, I'm going to show you in just a moment in the scripture, he decides to bring them back home, and he shows grace and mercy. And we're going to learn something from that. And then we're going to learn how that God also wants to bring us home. Because of his grace and mercy. So in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 22. We read these words. Therefore say to the house of Israel. Now listen this is important what I'm fixing to say. Or what he's fixing to say. This is what the Lord God says. 
It is not for your sake that I will act, O house of Israel. In other words, what God is about to do is not because they deserve it, certainly, but it's not even involving them really at all. And here's what I want you to hear today. When God said the house of Israel is not for your sake that I'm about to act, you need to understand something because we have issues with this. We somehow have got it in our brain that God exists for us. Friend, hear me. We exist for God. He is the creator and we are the created. He is God and we are not. And we want to get all fired up about God when God doesn't act like a puppet on a string and do exactly what we expect Him to do. Well, get over it. Because He is God and you are not. He is not a puppet on a string. Rather, we are, as His people, His bondservants. We just happen to benefit often from the blessings of God. I'm not sure how this is going to come out. and Y'all might disagree with me. But America's got this issue big time. Somehow, most Americans think that somehow, because we're America, that God has to bless us. Any blessings that God has chosen to bestow on America is simply because it benefits His kingdom, not because we deserve it. Not because we deserve it. God, for whatever reason, has chosen to use America. I think a lot of it is the financial wealth. I think God really intends America to fund kingdom work around the world. It has to be the reason our economy is so large, even though it's so messed up. That he wants to use that? I think that's the deal. And where you are in your station in life, please understand this. And you, where you are in your station in life, you think that you're there because you earned your way and that, and that God gave you everything he gave you for your benefit, and you're wrong. God has put you in your station of life and where you are and given what you have for the full benefit of his kingdom. And we are simply where we are because we haven't experienced the benefits of God making great his name. Look what he says. He says, this is, not, this is what the Lord says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name. We are benefactors of God acting in, in, in character of his holy name. It's like if I'm a profane person and I'm a righteous person and I live next door to each other and rain falls on both houses. We benefit because God is in the business. Listen, listen, listen. We, we benefit because God is in the business of making his name great. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he cares for you. Yes, yes, yes. But he's in the business of his kingdom, not just in your business. Y'all need to hear that because some of y'all get all mad at God because he doesn't do exactly what you want. Well, he, again, he's not a soda machine. Pop a quarter in and get your soda. He is God. To make matters even worse in Ezekiel 36 and verse 22, it ends this way. It is not for your sake that I will act. Israel is not that, that I'm doing this even for you, but for my holy name. And here's the sad part. Which you profaned among the nations where you went. Sadly, God's people profaned the name of God where they were, whether it's in their homeland or after the exile in Babylon, they profaned the name of God. Church, we need to hear something so clearly. 
It's so important that we don't become guilty of profaning the name of God. Israel did. Israel did. We must not be guilty of that. We, we must live in such a way that when people see God in us, it, it magnifies God. It doesn't destroy God. Now, listen to what I'm fixing to say. It's worth hearing. Are you listening? People view God through the lens of the church. People view God through the lens of the church. In other words, people's opinion of God is formed by what they see in God's people. So whether, A, you're the kind of person right now, and you have a cheating heart, and you're out living, even though you're a child of God, you're living like you're not a child of God. You're a practical atheist in your life, and your actions are shouting sermons to people, and they're saying, yeah, he claims to be a Christian, but look, if that's God, I don't want any part of God. Or whether you're the person who goes to McDonald's and is critical of God or critical of the church to all your lost friends, tell them how much you don't like God and you don't like your church. And whether you're doing that, you're still profaning the name of God. I'm telling you, the world sees God through the lens of the church. And when they see God in a wrong way and it's us, God says that's so wrong. In fact, he goes on. He didn't finish in verse 23. He says, I will honor the holiness of my name. I will honor the holiness of my name. Among the, which has been profaned among the nations, the name which you have profaned among them. Now watch this. The nations will know that I am Yahweh, that I am the Lord, that I am God. And he says, this is what I declare. When I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. The nations will know that I am Yahweh the Lord when I demonstrate my holiness through you, through God's people. And, and the prophet would say to us today, the world knows that God is God when he demonstrates that through who? Through his people. Through his people. If there's no other reason why to, why to be, uh, be holy in your conduct and holy in your attitude and holy in your actions and holy in your words, is because when we are, it demonstrates to the world out there that God is real. That God's not dead. He's still alive and he's still working. See, it's, it's funny because in, in the, when, when God sent the nation of Israel into exile to Babylon for 70 years... He demonstrated his justice. And when he chooses to bring them back to his land, he demonstrates his grace. I'm telling you, we all, none of us like the correction of God. Paul even said it's not good for the, for the present time. But I'm telling you, when God disciplines his children, he demonstrates his love. And afterwards, he demonstrates his grace. So, so what's the big plan for Israel? Well, the big plan is in verse 24, For I will take you from the nations, and, and I will gather you from all the countries, and will bring you into your own land. He says, there's coming a time, and I'm going to demonstrate to the nations my marvelous grace. And I'm going to bring you home from wherever you are exiled. I'm going to bring you home back into the land I promised you. And if you're here today and you're a child of God, well, first, let's just back up. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
God's greatest desire is that he brings you into the family. That he brings you home. And if you are a child of God and you are living, even in, even if in your heart, even though people don't see it, but God does, and you live in a far country, God's desire and his will is to bring you home. God so craves that we experience the abundant, wonderful life that Jesus Christ bought for us, that he bought for us on a daily basis. He, yeah, he wants us to, he, he wants us to experience all, all the joy and all the peace and all the wonder of the abundant life that Jesus spoke about in John 10, 10. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Just like the nation of Israel is going to bring them home. God's desire for us is that we come home. So how would he do that? How does that play out? How's that practical, Dwayne, in my life? Appreciate the history lesson. Learned about Hank Williams. That's really good. I even appreciate a little bit learning about Israel today. That's good. But, Dwayne, what about us? Well, what God does for Israel, how he brings us about in Israel, he also brings about in our lives. Look what he says. In verse number 25, he says, The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to clean you up. Now, notice something. He didn't say, I want you to clean. This is too good. I told him this in Judgment House. He didn't say, I want you to clean you up. Because in case you haven't figured it out, you can't clean you. You can't clean you if you're lost. And you can't clean you if you're out of fellowship. I learned a long time ago the thought process that I can, I can do better, just don't work. My do-betters don't last very long. My do-betters last until the pecan pie is out of the oven. My do-betters do until the next Baptist fellowship at church. My do-betters do until Judy leaves town. That's what my do-betters do. You can't do better. Your do-betters won't do it. You need an action of God. And here's what it looks like in Ezekiel 36, 25. He said, I will sprinkle you clean water. Oh, sorry. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. God says, hey, nation of Israel, who's been so out of it, who's been so out of it, I'm going to make you clean. Now, we know that's symbolic in the Old Testament. Reaching into the New Testament, and we understand it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses our sin. Hey, congregation, what can wash away our sins? But what can make us whole again? Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Your good intentions and your hopes, so maybes, of being a better person or a better Christian won't do the job. But God is just waiting to restore fellowship by the continual application of the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I will sprinkle you, make you clean. I will, He says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities in all your idols. I will do and I will bring it about in your life. In fact, you're going to notice something if you'll remember as we go through these scriptures, the words I will appear all the time. It never says you will, it's I will. I will. Cuz see, God is so much everything in our salvation and our salvation process. Our salvation and our sanctification is all about God. All we do is surrender and do what he tells us to do. Now, now keep on here. Look what he says in Isaiah 118. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jump to the New Testament. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and keep in mind, this is written to believers. If, if, you, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's true for salvation. If you're out there today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, His blood applied will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you will have a relationship with God. But it's also true in our fellowship. That when we stumble and fall flat on our face spiritually, and our cheating heart leads to actions that are the actions of a cheating heart, you need to know this, that His blood restores the fellowship. Don't need to restore the, fellow, the relationship. I'm glad to report to you that once you're born again, you're born again. As Nicodemus so wisely figured out, he could not crawl back into his mama's womb and get saved again. No, but our fellowship needs restoration, doesn't it? Our cheating's hearts need restoration and fellowship. And 1 John 1, 9 says, We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first thing he's going to do, he said, I'm going to clean you up. If you're outside the family, I'm going to bring you into the family. And if you're in the family and you fall in the mud puddle, I'm going to clean you up to restore fellowship. But then secondly, this, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. Well, Dwayne, what, what's that about? Well, let's look at it and see. Look at verse 26. I will give you... Talking about in Israel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Now, we're going to break those up later on. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Someone said, well, Dwayne, how are you going to tie in the fact that Tim Man said that he had no heart, and how is this going to tie in? Well, see, a heart of stone is no heart at all. A calloused, hardened heart is no heart at all. When he says, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, he's talking about a heart that's functioning, a heart that's sensitive. He said, I'm going to take out your hard, calloused heart, and I'm going to put in a heart that functions and a heart that's sensitive to me. You remember those days? Certainly you remember back when you first got saved and, and you thought Jesus was the most wonderful thing since sliced bread. You remember those days? And somehow along the process, it's not that way anymore. You remember when you first married your wife or your husband and you thought they were wonderful. And now you go, I can't even spell wonderful. God says, in my case, I'm going to put a new heart in you. It's going to be a heart that's a functioning heart. That does what the heart of God does. And it's going to be sensitive to the will of God. See, the heart's a strange thing. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Don't you dare trust your heart. Don't trust your even if you're saved, don't trust your heart. Trust the Word of God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then God says, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. You know, we just had a friend in our church that had to have some, some diagnostic work done on his heart because they were trying to find out was something wrong with the heart. In his case, it was a stress test, but often it's a heart cath. And God wants to do a heart cath on your heart to find out what the issues are. 
Because there's indications. You know, you don't, I, I told the folks, I said, you know, y'all do understand about church, don't you? Yeah, see, see, church is a hospital, not a country club. I, I told folks, you know, people think, well, church is where good people go. No, 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 no. Church is where people go who know they're sinners and need help. That's what church is about. Y'all just need to believe that and understand that. I mean, not too many people, people check into the hospital on vacation and go, I just like to spend seven days here. If you want a few tests, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with me particularly, but, but I just like to spend some time in the hospital. Well, if we're all fired up righteous, then why do we get here? We get here because we know we need newness from God every week. We need to be worshiping God, loving God, serving God, preparing for what's out there, preparing for what's out there. The heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? I will search the heart. Now listen, listen. Paul describes, I think, a, a uh, cheating heart in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 4, 17. Therefore I say this and testify to the Lord. Paul speaking. You should no longer walk as the Gentile walks. So if you find yourself consistently living... Like an unregenerate man, that's not what God calls you to as a child of God. If your habits and thoughts and words and actions are just like the world, something is wrong. Okay? All right? Then he goes this. They, they walk in the futility of their emptiness, of their thoughts. In other words, their empty thoughts. There's an emptiness there. It's futile. If you find yourself... If you're, as a believer, if you constantly view your life as meaningless and futile, there's something wrong with that. It's a sign of a broken, cheating heart. He goes on and says, They are darkened in their understanding. If your thoughts are constantly dark and not in light, there's a reason for that. Um, excluded from the life of God. I haven't used this term today, but I talked about it already. Have you heard the term practical atheism? It's someone you know, who says, I believe in God, but lives as if there is no God. Can I say it again? A practical atheist is someone who says there is a God and lives that, like there is no God. I believe in God, but we live like there's not one. And the, and the, and the, being excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, choosing to believe a lie than the truth, because of the hardness of the hearts. Because of the hardness of the hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity, for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. That's what a cheating heart looks like. When we are... This is not a guilt trip sermon. I, Roth did a great job of telling you, try, not trying to put you on a guilt trip. You don't need to come to church and get a guilt trip. You need to learn about redemption and how much God loves us and cares for us. But this is a really good picture of a heart that's... That's not committed. When we are more like the world in our actions and, atti- and attitudes and attitudes and attitudes, then something is wrong. Paul wrote a very familiar scripture, but I hope I can give you just a, a little twist on it, maybe, that, that we've not thought about before. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, is that ringing a bell to anybody already? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Y'all remember that verse? And it really speaks so well to the salvation experience. That, that person out when they're, you know, when they're still lost in their sin, and when God comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in, sins are forgiven, a new path is chosen, they choose to follow Jesus, turning from their sin. It's a beautiful picture of that. It's a one-time deal. But it's an everyday deal. Because you see, we're made new, but we're continually made new. It's called sanctification. Are y'all comfortable with that spiritual word? It's sanctification. It's a lifelong process where we become more and more and more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. You got everything you needed spiritually the day you were born. But now you practically live that out more and more as you make a journey through life. Are you getting it? Are you understanding it? Do we live it? I'm telling you, if you've been a Christian 50 years and you're just like you were when you were 15 years old in the Lord, something is wrong. I told those folks, now y'all know, a lot of y'all know my faults. A lot of y'all know my history of faults. If you'd like to talk to me about it sometime, I'll share with you so you won't go down the sound path, the same path. I have been stupid many times. Don't mind telling you that. Don't make me less of a man. Just telling you the truth. Been stupid a lot. As a leader, as a pastor, as a person. But I can tell you this. On Thursday night, I stood before those people in those little groups, you know, that I did the deal with. And I told them this. 42 years ago, I said, on this very day, October 26, 42 years ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's my spiritual birthday. 42 years. And as Paul would say, I've not arrived. But I'm going to look you dead now and tell you I'm not the man I used to be. And if you've been saved 42 years and you're the same old guy you were 42 years ago, I'm telling you, you've got a cheating heart. We should continually be more and more and more like Jesus. A continual process. Um, November the 9th, Mandisa is going to be in Paducah at the Heartland Worship Center. And a lot of you go, what's a Medisa? Is it an art display? Is it like the Mona Lisa? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. I just thought of that. Melissa, Medisa. I don't know. Medisa. Anyway, anyway, so she's going to be there, and I need to tell you her story. How are we doing on time? We're doing pretty good. Okay, so, so I got to tell you her story because it's a lot better than Hank Williams' story. So, Mandisa was a Christian, you know, is a Christian. And um, several years ago, several, several years ago, um, she was a very heavy lady. Um, and I don't mean like heavy, baby. She was heavy. And so, um, God started dealing with her heart, enabled her. And the bottom line is she lost 120 pounds, a lot of weight. And uh, she, got, you know, she got on television and shared about the victory and all of that and how great God had helped her do this and all of that. She, when Robin Williams came back on Good Morning America, um, her song, Overcomer, that's one of her, you're an overcomer. You know, that was the song that they said. It was a great song. It is a great song. It's awesome. This is just going to help somebody. Well, somewhere, she had a really, really, really good friend. And 
this really, really, really good friend became pregnant. And either about the same time or right before, I think it was about the same time after she was uh, almost said she was diagnosed as being pregnant. <laughs> That's probably not the right word. She determined, she found out she had breast cancer. And so, as an overcomer, Mandisa just claimed it, you know. God's going to heal her. I know God's going to heal her. I know God's going to heal her. I know God's going to heal her. God's going to heal her. And just kept on, you know. And finally, the baby was born. Cancer's still there. Still believed, still believed, overcome her thoughts. You know, God's going to heal her. God's going to heal her. And she died. And it devastated her. It devastated her. The one who sang overcomer slipped into a very deep depression. I asked Judy, and she thought it was a couple of years. Totally slipped from public life and gained more than 120 pounds. And for her, that was symbolic of her total failure. She was so ashamed to go in public, she simply didn't. And Satan convinced her and convinced her and convinced her that she was nothing but a failure. All she was. And Judy, I'm not sure I got the part of the story of how the comeback happened. But the bottom line is, finally God reached in to the darkness and lifted her out. I think she discovered the truth of first, our 2 Corinthians 5.17, the second part. Not just that she was a child of God and she had been redeemed and made new. She understood the power of sanctification. That God was still working on her. She just wasn't finished yet. Now here's the words to the song. That hurts her new hit song. And talks about this. And I'm telling you it's good. Not scared to say it. I used to be the one. Preaching it to you. That you could overcome. And I still believe it. But it ain't easy. Because the world, this is so good. The world I painted, where things just all work out, it started changing. And I started having doubts. And it got me down. But I picked myself back up and I started telling me, no, my God's not done making me a masterpiece. He's still working on me. He started something good. And I'm going to believe it. He started something good and he's going to complete it. So I'll celebrate the truth. His work in me ain't through. I'm just unfinished. I'm just unfinished. So I'll celebrate the truth. His work in me ain't through. I'm just unfinished. And wherever you are today and you feel like you're in a far country and you know your heart's not right with God, you might well say, I'm the cheating heart. I'm cheating on God. Just understand this. He ain't done with you yet. He just not finished. And he, you know, the word says he will complete it. I believe he will complete it. And Satan will lie to you and tell you he's not going to complete it. Well, he will. 
You just trust Him and give Him your heart. Say, God, my cheating heart goes on the altar today. I'm tired of cheating on you. I want to be dedicated completely to you. Finally this. Finally this. Ezekiel 36, 27, the third thing was, I'm going to put a spirit in, me, in them. He says in verse, way long before Pentecost, he says in verse 36, uh, Ezekiel 36, 27, I will, there it is again, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Jesus would say like this later on, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Aren't you glad we've got the Holy Spirit? We probably can't do anything about our cheating heart. We can't do anything about our desperate heart, our disappointed heart, our disillusioned heart, our discouraged heart. But when we become believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And I wrote this down. I don't know if this makes any sense or not, but it came to me late in study. I said, you know, I'm so glad for the Holy Spirit. Sometimes all I need is a cane, something to lean on, and he becomes my cane. Sometimes I need a little bit more, and he's my walker. And I may have put both arms and both weight on him and say, Holy Spirit, I need you just a little bit more. And he's always faithful. He's always there. And sometimes I need a wheelchair. I need to be able to sit down and put my just everything in the wheelchair and let it carry me. The Holy Spirit is everything you need for him to be. And you got all you'll ever need the day you got saved. You got all you'll ever need the day you got saved. All you got to do is surrender to him and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. And he is there. He is there. And then in verse 28, he closes all up and says, Then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. What a great ending. Unlike Hank Williams' story, it was just so tragic. God wants, well, first off, let me just be honest with you. Every child of God is going to have a great ending. Because if you're truly born again, you're going to be in heaven. I was hoping y'all believe that. But I want you to know this. That if we'll surrender our heart, if, if we'll quit listening to the liar, the, the, the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy from John chapter 10, if we'll believe, if we'll trust him, you don't have to wait to heaven to have the good ending. You can have the good endings here. If you're willing to just trust God that he's not finished with you yet, he's not thrown you in the garbage dump. He won't throw you in the garbage dump. He's still working on you. The masterpiece is not done yet, as Mandisa told us in her song. He's still working on me. So today, in this mess, whatever it was, if you're here today and God talked to your heart, and you understand, I, I spoke this so often in Judgment House to the groups I talked to, Maybe you're here today and you realize that you need Jesus. As I said to them that day, you want to make sure that you go to heaven. They saw a picture of hell and it wasn't very good and they want to make sure they go to heaven. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. 
And we'd love to share with you, and I, I always told them this. I said, notice I didn't talk about religion. I didn't talk about baptism. I didn't talk about being a Baptist. I didn't talk about joining the church. I didn't talk about starting this and stopping that. I talked about putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And my friend Brent will be down here. If you'd like, if you've never made that commitment, just walk up and say, Brent, I want to make that commitment in Jesus Christ today. And we will, we will have friends who will talk with you what the Bible says about doing that. Because it's no light decision. But we have some friends who will talk with you. Or maybe you're here today and you just got questions. Maybe, maybe you went through Judgment House and you're here because of Judgment House. Maybe you're listening on the radio and you're here you know, you're, you know, today and you go, oh yeah, I went through Judgment House. Maybe you just got questions. I have questions. Just come and say, Brent, I've got questions. I want to know more about this Jesus and how I can be made new. And we've got friends who will talk with you. Or maybe you're here. Maybe you're here and you know Jesus. But a lot of what I talked about today, it's resonating in your heart. You know, there's some things, went all back to James. There's quarrels and fights and passions that are of war within you and you desire, you don't have, and you don't have because you ask and you don't get it. All those things. There's just conflict in your life. Can I invite you tonight, today, just to come and say, Brent, I just need to recommit my life. We don't talk about that much, do we? Recommit my life to Jesus. I don't know if the term, your cheating heart, resonated with you, but more I studied it, it with me. Because every time my heart desires something besides what's best, and that's God, it's a cheating heart. Every time my passion is for something that's greater, you know, gets in front of God, it's a cheating heart. Maybe today you just want to recommit your life. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. If so, that's great. We would love to have you come. Now, there are other decisions. Folks asked this week about how you joined the church. Well, this is your time. We're going to be standing down front and just come on down, and, and we'll welcome you with open arms as God has led you to our fellowship. Maybe here today and you trusted Jesus and you never followed through in baptism. We'd love to talk to you about that. We want to do everything we can to help you experience that abundant life. We want to do everything we can to help you grow in that abundant life. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this. And I, I really do hope that you've taken this this collection of thoughts, whatever it was, and, and sewn it together and spoken to hearts. I pray that. I know this, God, that you love every person, and if there's someone here outside of your family who's never trusted Jesus, you want nothing more than to bring them home. And if there's a believer here who's in a far country, they may be sitting in church, but they're in a far country, you want nothing more but to bring them home. You want to restore fellowship by cleansing us. You want to put a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that's sensitive and functioning into our hearts, our chest. And thank you that we have the Holy Spirit. But you want us to release and surrender so we can lean and depend on Him. So please, God, do a great work in the lives of your people. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.